with doing a meal for the Tomastic family on Friday for the memorial service for Paul Tomastic, and then just a couple days later doing another funeral service for Dot Harris and her family and preparing and people baking. I just sat down that night, and in my journal, I said, Lord, I, I thank you for, I am incredibly thankful for such a wonderful congregation, for such a wonderful group of people that I am so proud of. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was the late D.L. Moody who used to tell a fable about an eagle who was envious of another eagle because he couldn't fly like this one could. So one time this eagle was out and about and he saw a hunter with a bow and arrow. And he went up to the hunter and said, Hey, can, can you shoot down that bird that's flying high up there? And the hunter said, I could, but I don't have any feathers for my arrow. The eagle thought for a moment, plucked a couple feathers from his wings, gave it to the hunter. Hunter attached them to the arrow, shot, let the arrow go. But the arrow couldn't reach as high as that rival eagle was flying. So the eagle took some more feathers and some more feathers and for more feathers. And arrow after arrow, they kept missing his rival. Before you realized it, that eagle realized that he compromised his ability to fly. And you know what the hunter thought to himself was? He turned, took advantage of that weak, helpless eagle and killed him. D.L. Moody would make this application. If you are envious of others, the one you will hurt the most by your actions will be yourself. You got it? So now we can pray. I can dismiss you. Today, we continue the message series on the three thieves of Thanksgiving. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the dangers of comparison. Comparing ourselves to others only opens a doorway to a larger problem where we feel the emotions of jealousy and envy. Now, today, we use those words interchangeable. We use the words jealousy and envious, interchangeable. And I, I wondered, I said, is there a difference? And there is a difference, believe it or not. There is a difference between feeling envious and being jealous. I'll just share it with you in this simple way. Kate's innocent flirting sent her boyfriend into a jealous rage. Come on, you remember your high school years where your your boyfriend or girlfriend would flirt with someone else and you became, you became angry. That's called jealousy. Never you, Jimmy, right? Yeah, you got it. But Tracy was envious that Lauren won the trophy. 
She was envious because she, someone else got the trophy. She, she was envious because she didn't have the ability that Lauren had. We can say it this way. Envy is a painful feeling of wanting. Wanting some, what someone else has, like attributes or, or possessions. And all of a sudden, we think of the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservants, or his maidservants, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You, you shall not covet. Jealousy. If you're jealous, then you feel threatened. Or fearful of losing one's position or situation to someone else. It has been said that envy usually involves two people. Whereas jealousy involves three people. So, you know, sometimes if you think you're jealous, you know, it doesn't involve one person or two people. And then you can say, well, I'm not really jealous. I'm more envious. So we use it interchangeable today. But today we're going we're gonna to look at a family feud. Turn in your Bibles or turn up your electronic devices to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And we're going to take a look at a brother and a sister who started to criticize their baby brother. Numbers chapter 12. Starting with the first verse, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, Miriam was the oldest of the three. In Numbers, it talks about when Aaron died, he was 123. When Moses died six months later, he was 120. So we see that Moses was the baby of the, of the three. Miriam, Aaron, and their baby brother, Moses. Now, because Miriam is mentioned first, it's thought that she's the leader behind the criticism. She is the one who stirred this all up. She was the brains behind it. And it seems like Aaron just followed. And we also think we know this because who does the consequence of this criticism fall on? You'll see that it's going to fall on Miriam. Now we get to this passage where it presents a little problem for us. It's it's kind of like referred to as like a, a little problem passage Because of Moses' Cushite wife. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 2 for a moment. Remember when Moses had to flee Egypt? Because he killed an Egyptian. And he fled to Midian. There in Midian, in Exodus chapter 2, we we find him sitting at a well. And it says that the seven daughters... Of the priest of Midian came to draw water. 
These seven ladies came to draw water to to feed their father's livestock. But as they came, there were shepherds who kind of ran them off. Moses steps in on behalf of those seven women and starts drawing water for them. These seven women go back to their father, Rule, or later be known as Jethro. And he says, how is it that you came back so fast? And these seven daughters tell the story of how they came to the well, run off by some shepherds. Moses, this Egyptian, interceded on behalf of them. And he goes, well, where is this guy? Let's give him something to eat. Invite him for some cannolis and some pasta vizul. So they bring Moses... And Jethro is so filled with thanksgiving that he takes his daughter Zipporah and offers her to Moses to be his wife. And they were, and and Jethro was considered the, the priest of Midian. So where does Cushite come in? Many think that perhaps Zipporah has now died. And this is a second wife of Moses. Others feel that Cush is a descendant from Ham, which was in Ethiopia. But then some of the descendants migrated over to Medium and established a a, a village there. And it, it might be that perhaps Jethro, even though he lived in Median, was a Cushite which would make his daughters Cushites. So we don't know, first wife, second wife. All we know is that a brother and a sister starts to criticize their baby brother's wife. But we do know that Cush could be a derogatory term because of the color of her skin. Now think about this. It is unfair to criticize someone they have nothing, no control over. It's unfair criticism to criticize something or someone whom they have no control over. Let me ask you a question. Did any of you get to pick your parents? Did any of you get to pick your nationality? Your ethnicity? This is unfair criticism on Moses' wife. They are criticizing her over something she had no control over if it was meant to be a derogatory term. And you know what happens a lot of times? When people criticize, complain, there's something usually, something more deeper behind it. I remember in 2019, our network was going through transition, and it was my good friend Dave Greco having a cup of coffee, and I was just complaining, criticizing what's taking place at the next work office, and Dave looked over me at only Dave could do, and he says, hey, Bubba, what's really wrong? I'm like, yeah, you got me. Let me tell you what's really going on. And a lot of times that happens. We are recipients of unjust criticism because there's something deeper going on in that person's life. 
So I wondered, there's got to be something deeper to this. So context, context, context. So you got to go to chapter 11. Chapter 11 is where the Israelites are complaining about eating manna and they have no meat. They want some meat. Where is the beef? And Moses goes into this dissertation with God. Am I the only one that can speak on behalf of my people? These people are just driving me crazy. They're tired with the manna. They want to go back to Egypt because in Egypt they had meat and we have no meat out here in the wilderness. And, and, and Moses is just having a dialogue with God. And God says, tell the people, I'm going to give them some meat. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. Listen, if you've been longing for some meat and your leader says, consecrate yourself because there's going to be meat, aren't you the hero? Now I'm wondering, maybe perhaps, if his brother Aaron And his sister Miriam aren't starting to feel a little jealous over the position their baby brother has over the Israelites. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. He he told Moses, get all your 70, 70 elders together, stand around the tent. And the Lord came down and the Lord put his spirit on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied and they, and, and they did not do this again. But there they were filled with, with the spirit of God prophesying. Now put yourself in Miriam's position. We don't believe she was one of the 70 elders, and all of a sudden she's just looking back and how come them and not me? After all, I am a prophetess. And we don't know if Aaron was considered an elder, but we're assuming that perhaps he wasn't included in these 70. And then if you read on, there was two elders that they didn't even come. Eldad and Medad. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. They they didn't even have enough nerve to show up. And God is pouring his spirit out on them. And Joshua, the son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? And all of a sudden I started to think, if Joshua was showing a little jealousy... Certainly Aaron and Miriam must have been feeling a little jealousy. How come them and not us? So we'll just take it out on his wife. And then you come down to verse 2. And verse 2 gives us the real problem. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Sounds like a little pity party, doesn't it? Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Why is he getting all the attention? Why is he the leader? Why are we the forgotten ones? And you begin to see the unjust criticism that they poured out on Moses' wife when really they had a deep-seated problem 
inside. Now, I just want to share with you some of the dangers of these feelings of envy and jealousy. Look at what Miriam does first. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? When one is jealous or one is envious, one of the things that you, you feel inadequate, you feel inferior, and all of a sudden you, you, you have to elevate yourself so you can feel better than yourself, better about yourself. And has the Lord only spoken through Moses? What, what about us? And Mary, I'm sure, could have said, if it wasn't for me, there'd be no Moses. I remember that day we put him in that little basket pitched with tar and put him down the Nile and I was told to keep my eyes on him and I kept my eyes on him and I saw that Egyptian woman come and take him and I ran up to him to her and said oh do you need one to nurse this baby so I ran back to mom and I got mom and I said mom they got Moses and, and you got a nurse and, and, and at that such an impressionable age their mom nursed her own baby to instill those Hebrew values in Moses. And Miriam could say, if it wasn't for me, there'd be no Moses. And what about the time? Has God only spoken through Moses? Boy, we soon forget when Pharaoh's army was in the midst of the Red Sea and the Lord covered them up with water, who was it that led a meeting of prayer, a, a praise meeting? Who led the worship? It was me, Miriam. I got all the other ladies with their tambourines and we started dancing and singing, How good is the Lord? Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Who was Miriam? The older sister, maybe a little controlling. And did she lose control when her baby brother got married? Maybe she was a little jealous of the position that she lost when Moses got married. Maybe she was envious because of the authority that Moses had, and we have been kind of like left behind. Listen, when you start elevating yourself, the second thing envy and jealous will do to you is you got to feed selfishness. Hasn't he also spoken through us? Is Moses the only one that can speak? Is Moses the only one God speaks to? Hasn't he spoken to us? He has spoken to us many of times. Now, if you don't get anything else today out of this message, please get your cell phone ready or your pencils ready Take this down and put it in a place that is familiar that you can read over and over and over. Selfishness is really self-worship. Selfishness is really self-worship. When it becomes all about you, what about us? Doesn't the Lord speak through us? Doesn't the Lord use us? When it becomes all about you, you set yourself up for worship. Where do we see this in history? 
Lucifer, the angel of light, Satan, who wanted to be like God, set himself up to be worshipped. And do you know what happened? The third danger sign that happens as a result of envy and jealousy is we rebel against authority. I'm reminded in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, the Lord likens rebellion to the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Now I'm going to share with you a scripture verse that you usually don't find on Facebook, Facebook posts. People don't Twitter and tweet. I don't tweet or Twitter. I don't know. They don't post this on Instagram. In fact, can, can anybody quote for me Hebrews 13, 17? Hebrews 13, 17. Anybody know it? Come on, offhand. Hebrews 13, 17. Because it's not a scripture verse we memorize that when we get in a tight spot, we can quote. But this verse is essential in our Christian walk. The writer to the Hebrews at the end closes his book with this. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. Keep watch over. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so their work will be joyous and not a burden. Pastor Matt, that's when you're to say, uh, Matt Jones Sr., that's when you say amen. (laughs) Obey them so their work will be joyous and not a burden. (laughs) Would that be no advantage to you? Paul, in writing to the Romans, tells us that we're to respect authority, those whom God has placed over us, and not just in the church. For if you don't, Paul says it's like rebelling against God, and you bring judgment on yourself. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us? Come on, let's gather around. But the scariest part of verse 2 is, and the Lord heard this. The Lord heard this. Now, you get to verse 3. And we're going to come back to verse 3 because there's parentheses around verse 3. If you go right to verse 4, take verse 3 out, go right to verse 4. Verse 4 says, at once, when the Lord heard this, when the Lord heard the jealousy and the envy, when the Lord heard what was taking place, Scripture says, at once, he spoke to Moses, he spoke to Miriam, And he spoke to Aaron. And I don't have time to go into that little discourse. But the Lord gives to them this little discourse, a little correction, a little rebuke. And then in verse 8 or 9, it says that the Lord 
burned with anger, and he departed. He departed. No part of this. Departed. And let me tell you something. When you're filled with envy and jealousy, you really feel like the Lord has departed. And when the cloud was lifted from above the tent, the Lord departed, the cloud was lifted. There stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned and saw that she had leprosy. All right. I'm going to go out on a limb for a moment. And I'm just saying, all I'm saying is, I'm just saying, that if Miriam was criticizing Moses' wife because her skin may have been a little dark, What did God give back to Miriam? You want to criticize her skin? Well, let me show you what I'll do to your skin. Be careful how you criticize. Be careful how you judge. Be careful how you speak about others. Boom! And that which was on the inside surfaced to the outside. The hatred, the bitterness. And that's what happens. We'll talk about that more next week. From comparing, it opens the door to envy and to jealousy. And when you deal with that, that has a way of getting you to become bitter. And bitter, it can be rotten. Leprosy begins to rot the skin. It's a slow death. And the very thing she might have criticized... She now had to deal with herself. So Miriam was confined to outside the camp for seven days. Listen, when I hear the word isolation, sometimes that sounds very appealing. but not for long. Think about this. How do prisons punish prisoners? Solitary confinement. There's nothing that scares me more than being in a place with no sunlight, darkness, and the only human contact you have is when they lift up of this little gate and throw your food in. Think about that. Isolated. From the ones she loved. Bitterness. Envy. Jealousy. Can isolate you even when you're among people. Remember back in 1998 or 99, the church had supported some students down in the Marshall Island School of Theology. And upon their graduation, Karen and Jerry Jacob, they asked me to come to the Marshall Islands to speak at that graduation service. Now, 
if you don't know where the Marshall Islands is, way out in the Pacific, it's past the international date, date line. You just don't get there in a day. And I'm all excited because I'm going to go to the Marshall Islands. And then I realize in order to get there, I have to take a flight from Newark, New Jersey to Honolulu, Hawaii. And stay overnight in Hawaii. Come on, does it get any better than that? But it was the worst. It was the worst. Well, how can... Have you ever heard anyone go to Hawaii and say they had a bad time? (laughs) When you're by yourself and everybody else is with people having a good time and you're just walking around by yourself, totally isolated, when you go down to a restaurant and you sit at a table by yourself and everybody else is vacationing, everybody else is partying, everybody else is there with family, everybody else is there with relatives, and they're all having a good time, and you're just sitting there by yourself, you feel isolated. You know what jealousy And envy can do to you, it can rot your very bones where you could be the one going down shop right in an aisle. And I'm telling you, when you see that person in that aisle, aren't you skipping over to the next aisle so you don't have to greet them? Even though you're a Christian? These feelings, if you don't deal with them, have a way to rot you core to the bone And I believe it was just the outward sign that leprosy was just an outward sign of what was taking place inwardly in Miriam. Let me me summarize it this way. You look. You want. You resent. And if you don't repent, you rebel. And you end up covered in the evidence of your sin, isolated from those who matter the most to you. And if it wasn't for her baby brother, who interceded and asked God to heal her, she would have remained that way the rest of her life. And I often thought about, can you imagine Moses these family members criticizing me, criticizing my wife, the heck with them. But yet inside he had the grace and the compassion and say, Lord, heal her. Don't let her die this way. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. Now I want to go back to verse 3 because I'm telling you, Matt, I don't know if you ever felt this. Verse 3 has always been a, a, a confusion for me. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So Moses writes numbers. Now, Moses in the third person. Now, Moses was more humble, was a very humble man. More humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Can you imagine Moses, a humble man, writing that about himself? That doesn't make him humble anymore. My greatest asset is I'm so humble. It's gone, man. And for years, Moses, if you're a humble man, how could you write this about yourself? But then I realized it's in parentheses. Most commentaries and commentators will say, 
that when Moses died, Joshua put this in about his leader Moses. Now it makes all the sense in the world that Joshua contributes Moses as being a very humble man. Humble enough to forgive his own family. It was 2010, the spring of 2010, where in this area we just had a lot of rain. Some of you will remember. And the water table in this area rose. And building B was flooded downstairs for 10 days. For 10 days, water just seeped up through the floor, coming through the foundation. We had people, we had men, we had women working around the clock, 24-7. All you could hear was the sound of shop vacs, vacuuming, picking up the water. We can save this place. We're not going to have to destroy it all. first couple of days we had the dry vacs and we were just going all over the floor but after about two days we got smart you know what we realized that water runs to the lowest spot and we would get to the lowest spot sit in a chair and just hold the vacuum and the water came to us and then we have to shut it off dump it out come back Andrew Murray, in his book, Humility, writes this. Just as water seeks to fill the lowest place, so the moment God finds the creature empty, his glory and power flow in to exalt and bless. That is powerful. When you're having a pity party, when you're so worried about what everybody else has and you don't, when you're jealous of other people's positions or someone taking your positions, you're not empty. Just like water seeks to fill the lowest place. So the moment God finds a creature empty, His glory and his power flow in to exalt and to bless. 